So while our boys and girls are heading to their classes, perhaps we can turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. We're going to read from verse 31 uh, to chapter 19 and verse 10. Uh, We find ourselves for the next four weeks in the run-up to Easter, um, looking at different uh, parts of the journey of Jesus to Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51 We read, as the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And so in view is Jesus on his journey to the cross. And so today, on that journey, we find ourselves around the town of Jericho. And so let's read together Luke 18, beginning at verse 31. And let's hear the word of God. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, And they did not know what he was talking about. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today... Salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Amen. And now we're going to sing a section from Psalm 16 as we work our way through the Psalms. And here we remind ourselves that because Jesus was raised from the dead... We as God's people, those who have faith in Jesus, have eternal hope and joy awaiting us. So let's sing with that expectation as we stand to sing from Psalm 16. I'll praise the Lord my God. 
God, whose counsel guides my choice. And even in the night, my heart recalls instruction's voice. Before me constantly, I set the Lord alone, because he is at my right hand, I'll not be overthrown. Therefore my heart is glad, my tongue with joy will sing, my body too will rest secure in hope unwavering. For you will not allow my soul in death to say, nor will you leave your holy one to see the tombs decay. You have made known to me the path of life divine. Bliss shall I know at your right hand. Joy from your face will shine. So if you could have your Bibles uh, open um, at Luke 18, that'd be really helpful as we uh, spend time as a church on the journey to Easter. And here we begin at Jericho, thinking about Jesus as the King who restores. Most people love restoration stories. And we have a whole range of TV shows dedicated to restoration, whether that's homes or cars or furniture. And we're invited to admire people's skills, to see the attention to detail, just the right paintwork, just the right fixtures and fittings. On a larger scale, you may have noticed that Big Ben is finally being released from its scaffolding after five years renovation, which is good news for tourists. There's nothing more frustrating than arriving at an iconic building and getting your photo with scaffolding. But it's not just buildings and objects. Uh, We love to hear stories of people's lives being restored. Uh, I don't know if you saw um, on the news uh, the little five-year-old boy with cerebral palsy uh, who was beginning to learn how to walk. Uh, Neuroscientists had done uh, some remarkable work um, to enable him to begin learning to walk. Uh, And no doubt many of us saw uh, the wonderful scenes as uh, Nazanin Zagari Radcliffe was reunited with uh, her husband and daughter after five years in prison in Iran. We love restoration stories. Uh, but at the same time as we value restoration, we appreciate that sometimes the challenge 
uh, to recovery is enormous. Perhaps we think about the economic troubles that we find ourselves in and we're about to head into and we wonder how how will recovery come? What's the impact going to be uh, on our own pockets and nationally? How do nations recover from pandemic? How will Ukraine recover from war? We appreciate the priority, the need for restoration, but sometimes it seems such a huge job. Well, here as we focus on Jericho, don't we see Jesus in the business of restoration? We see him, in the first instance, uh, meet a blind beggar and restore his sight. And then we see him meet a tax collector, and he is restored to community, to the community of God's people. As Jesus is on this journey to Jerusalem, uh, we meet King Jesus, a king of glory and grace a king of sympathy and a king of saving power, and we're invited to remember that that was not just for them and for then, but he is the same King Jesus for us today. So this theme of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, as we uh, reminded ourselves, uh, has been uh, in Luke's mind since Luke 9, 51. And as we began our reading in chapter 18, verse 31 to 33, Jesus, for the sixth time, reminds his disciples that this journey to Jerusalem is one that will lead him to rejection and suffering and death before being raised to life on the third day. It's the journey to Easter. In Jesus' death and resurrection, there lies the hope of restoration, not just for a blind man in Zacchaeus, but for a world... And for you and for me today, the disciples, as Jesus announced why he was going, we're told in verse 34, they they didn't understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them. Disciples are confused. Why would God's king and savior suffer and die? Well, I hope that as we spend time together And as we live this side of the cross and the empty tomb, we'll understand the significance of the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus so that so that we would have hope in him, that the hope of restoration would be found in him and him alone. So let's begin by looking at this blind man to see that Jesus restores a blind man's sight. Verse 35, we meet him. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. So let's just for a moment in our imagination picture uh, this man, perhaps blind from birth. We're not told. If that was the case, he'd have no prospect of an education, no support and welfare system to help him, no potential for work. And indeed, his standing in society would be very low. And we know this because there was another time where um, Jesus and his disciples met a blind man. And the question was, well, well, who sinned? Was it this man or was it his parents? They presumed that there was something wrong and, and unclean if someone was blind. And the religious leaders were teaching that. So his standing in society would be very low. In many ways, he would be an an invisible man in society, perhaps the kind of person you would cross the street or just walk on by. 
But here we find him on the street corner, as was his custom, day after day, begging for his life, until this day he hears something different. Verse 36, he heard the crowd going by, and he asked what was happening, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Here is a royal procession with King Jesus at the head. And he can hear the build-up of noise and excitement and questions and expectation as this king is coming, moving towards Jerusalem. Now, of course, Jesus is a very different king from any royal procession that we might expect. He comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. He is a humble, suffering servant king. But nevertheless, there is this noise and excitement that we expect when a king is in town. And he's told Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, let's just think for a moment what he is hoping for. He's a man who is hoping for an audience with a king. But let's recognize just how rare that is. I don't know if there's anybody here who has been in the presence of royalty. Uh, We had a a day in the, the woods of the Balmoral Estate yesterday. Uh, nobody from the royal family was in town, I don't think. But it's very unusual uh, to have an audience with a king, with a queen, with royalty. And if you're this guy, uh, if you're a blind beggar, the chances of that would be zero, except when Jesus is the king. I want us to recognize uh, three things that this blind man sees or recognizes in this uh, short Story. The first thing he sees and recognizes is his need. Okay, so there's the obvious daily reality. He has to sit by the roadside to beg for money to get food. But also, uh, we find two times he's calling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He is aware of physical need, but it seems he is aware of that spiritual need for the the compassion and the kindness of God in his life. And so he sees his need. And, And coupled with that, he sees and recognizes the identity of Jesus. There's an irony here in that those with sight are asked the question, what's going on? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth is coming by. But how does the blind man call out? He calls out Jesus, son of David. That's significant, because that title there is a reminder that from the Old Testament, God had promised a son of David who would be savior, who would be God's king, who would bring in an eternal kingdom. He sees something that the majority of the crowd seem to miss. And then our focus is on who is doing the miracle. Our focus is drawn into Jesus, this king, this mighty God. And notice too, in verse 41, as Jesus invites him to come near, he calls Jesus Lord. Now, there's no doubt there's just a tone of respect there. But from what we see of this man, we also understand that there is worship here. There is trust and there is submission. So he sees Jesus as God's saviour king and as Lord. 
And because of that, seeing is believing. Again, there's another striking contrast, this time between the crowds and Jesus. What are the crowds saying to this man? This man who's in desperate need of mercy, and here's a king with power and grace who's coming by. What do they say to him? They say, be quiet. Jesus is far too important, far too busy for the likes of you. But what does Jesus do? Verse 40, Jesus stopped. Jesus ordered the man to be brought to him. Here is the king issuing a royal command. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? This blind beggar is invited to make a royal request. And let's just stop for a moment and let's ask ourselves the question, how wide is my view of God's kindness and grace? Would I think a blind beggar would be a no-hoper in God's kingdom? Are there people in my life who I'm writing off and saying God would have no interest in them? Or that Jesus has no power to save that type of person? One of the things that the, the encounters that Jesus has with you is invited to increase our faith and show how wide God's kingdom is, and we'll come back to that. But again, let's, let's think about this uh, blind man. He's asked the question, what do you want me to do for you? And he replies, Lord, I want to see. Now that might seem quite uh, as we would expect, but we need to understand that's a request of faith. We appreciate from the stories that we enjoy, any restoration project involves uh, locating, making use of the right expert, whether that's a neuroscientist, whether that's a mechanic, whether that's a stonemason. This blind man by faith knows if my sight is to be restored, I need to come to God's promised king. I need to come to one with the power, the authority and love of God himself. And so he asks with faith. And what's the result of his faith in Jesus? Verse 42, Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Not faith in general, but faith in Jesus has healed him, has restored him. Not just physically, but spiritually also. Because see how different his life is in verse 43. Immediately he received his sight. First person he sees, Jesus is Savior. First thing he does is he follows Jesus praising God. He journeys with Jesus as a worshiper. New direction, new status, new heart-filled worship. So Jesus has restored his sight, and his journey continues. And we need to see, secondly, that Jesus restores uh, this prodigal tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus. It's interesting when our our, our gospel writers place two encounters, two people side by side. Uh, Sometimes we're invited to see parallels. Sometimes we're invited to see contrasts. And you compare the blind beggar and you compare super wealthy Zacchaeus and you realize that financially they couldn't be more different. 
Now, the Zacchaeus has all the resources he could ever want, but he too has a need that money can't buy. And again, we need to picture for a moment Zacchaeus. So, verse 2 of chapter 19, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, that might not mean that much to us, but to the people in Jesus' day, that meant Zacchaeus was public enemy number one. Here is a man who has got rich by corruption. Here is a man who's been siding with enemy oppressors. And he's not just a tax collector. He's the chief tax collector. So he is the very worst of the worst. He's the lowest of the low, getting rich, benefiting himself at the expense of others. I called him a prodigal tax collector because in my mind it reminds me of that famous story of the prodigal son uh, that Jesus told. A guy who uh, wanted to get away from his father and have freedom and to get a bunch of cash and to go and uh, use it however he wanted, very selfish. Well, here is this prodigal, Zacchaeus. He's very wealthy. He's sitting on this great uh, pile of cash. But he is alone. And he is far from home. By his choices, he has made himself an outcast in in his society. By a deliberate choice, he has walked away from his God, choosing to live with injustice and immorality in his day-to-day business. This is a deliberate rejection of his people and his faith in order that he might get rich quick. But we find him here with this need that money can't buy. And it surprises us. There's three surprises we can recognize from this story. First, that Zacchaeus is a surprising seeker. Uh, Some high schools, mine didn't, but some high schools have uh, yearbooks. Uh, Maybe final year uh, pupils would uh, have their pictures and some entries underneath Uh, You might vote on who'd be the most likely to succeed, all those kind of things. Uh, Imagine Zacchaeus in the yearbook. Uh, He'd be one of those guys that'd be least likely candidate for salvation. Least likely uh, to want anything to do with Jesus. Because of all of his choices up until this point. He sacrificed the community of God's people for cash. He has given up faith for financial gain. But look at him him in verses 3 and 4. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When was the last time you climbed a tree? Maybe some of us, it wasn't that long ago. Maybe some of us, it was yesterday. Uh, Others of us, perhaps we did it to rescue our children who got up high and didn't know how to come back down. Some of us, we maybe have to go back decades. Well, in Zacchaeus' culture, an adult would never upon never climb a tree. It was just undignified. It's like you didn't run, you didn't climb trees. Things have changed. Uh, Why does he climb? Why does he do this thing? Well, he climbs, first of all, we're told, because he's short. He's got a physical deep, so he's struggling to see Jesus. Uh, but when we think about his job, one of the reasons why he can't see Jesus is no doubt because the crowd are making life difficult for him. 
You're not going to let this guy get the best view in the house, this guy who's robbing you blind. But he also climbs the tree because he's desperate. He's desperate for a chance to see Jesus. He's a surprising seeker. And not only that, there's a very surprising invitation. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So King Jesus is on his journey to Jerusalem. And he's on that mission. And his mission is one of grace. His mission is to come and seek and to save the lost. And how does he demonstrate it right here and right now? He picks out the worst guy in this big crowd. Zacchaeus. Kind of made himself a public spectacle up in the tree. And what Jesus does, he doesn't just pick him out. He shows him hospitality. He invites Zacchaeus in. He invites Zacchaeus to welcome Jesus for a meal in this sign of friendship and acceptance. And Jesus doesn't say, I kind of feel like I should. Jesus says, I must. And that must tells us this is God's deliberate plan. This is God's eternal saving plan for a lost sinner like Zacchaeus being activated right here, right now, under the sycamore tree. I must. We're going to sing at the end, our sins, they are many. God's mercy is more. It's the wonderful song of this moment. Zacchaeus' sins were many. But the mercy of God in sending Jesus was more. And again, let's just stop for a moment and reflect so that we don't lose sight of this. So that on the one hand, we keep praying for the prodigals in our own lives. Those people that we know and love, some of whom used to come to church, some of whom perhaps profess faith, but now are far from God. Or those characters in our networks or in our community, we think, we can't see any prospect of them ever uh, coming to find God's grace. Let's pray and let's seek and let's expect God to amaze us with his grace as he does on this occasion. The crowd are certainly amazed, but not positively. Verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. They're grumbling. Like Old Testament, Israel, grumbling. How come? Why the grumble? Because they've got a low view of Zacchaeus. God shouldn't be interested. Jesus shouldn't be interested in people like him. And they've got a low view of the grace of God. Salvation is for good people, they think. What does Jesus say? Salvation is for sinners. It's for people like us. They have that low view of God's grace. But what does Jesus do again? He chooses, he calls, and he saves. Salvation is a free gift of God's grace. It's not earned or deserved. And Zacchaeus shows us that. And then there's surprising salvation. Verse 8. Here is how Zacchaeus shows repentance. What's repentance? It's when you have a a change of heart and mind. 
towards God, so leaving behind a life of pursuing sin in order to follow after Jesus. Here is how Zacchaeus shows his faith, that he's going to trust in Jesus as Lord. Verse 8, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Now, this is dramatic. It's a guy who's been living for money, sacrificing everything for his cash. But now that he's received generous grace through Jesus, his heart has been changed. And in an instant, he's happy to give half of it away. And recognizing that he has treated people unjustly, saying, I'll pay back with 300% interest. He freely confesses sin, and he freely confesses Jesus as Lord. What's happening here is that Jesus is his Lord, not his money. He had that idol. That idol was clearly failing to satisfy. Instead, he's found deep and lasting joy in Jesus. And then comes Jesus' public verdict. Today, salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus has been saved. Salvation has come. He, too, has been restored. He's been restored to God's people. He's been restored to the community of faith. He, too, by faith, is a child of Abraham. And this is the mission of King Jesus. The mission to seek and save the lost. The mission to bring prodigals back home. It's the priority of Jesus. And it's the joy of Jesus as well. We read at the beginning, verses 31 to 33, of the journey that Jesus was going to take. We're going up to Jerusalem. And everything that's written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He'll be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. How do we explain that? We explain it because Jesus is on a mission to seek and save the lost. Paul put it this way in a different context. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, rich with all the glory of heaven, yet for your sake he became poor, becoming one of us, going to the cross for us, that you through his poverty might become rich. Spiritual riches are what Zacchaeus discovered and treasured, those riches that come from Jesus' saving grace. Now, just as we close, just by way of uh, reminding ourselves of three facts, three lessons that we can draw from this journey of Jesus. One, that no one is beyond God's grace. So I came across a a story uh, this week from a a missionary in South America. It's dating back a couple of years, I think. Uh, He was on the street, must have been uh, before pandemic. Um, He was sharing uh, on the streets uh, with various people looking to uh, read uh, the gospel, share the gospel, and a, a man came to him Uh, had an obvious interest in uh, the New Testament he was carrying, uh, not because of its message, but because the paper was just thin enough to make excellent cigarette paper. 
Uh, and so uh, this missionary sensed uh, the man's uh, desires, uh, but said to him, promise me this. I'll give you this New Testament if you promise uh, that uh, before you use it uh, for rolling up your next cigarette, you read each page. So the man took the New Testament. Uh, and a few weeks later, uh, the missionary was back on the same street, saw the guy and asked him how he was getting on. And uh, he confessed uh, that he had, by that point, uh, smoked his way through Matthew. He smoked his way through Mark. He smoked his way through Luke. And he smoked his way all the way till John chapter 3. And in John chapter 3, he realized that he was a sinner and that Jesus had come to save sinners. And he'd become a Christian. And now, that same guy, smoking his way through the Bible, is training to be a pastor. And that lesson is the lesson of this blind beggar, is the lesson of Zacchaeus, that no one is beyond God's grace. There is no barrier to God's grace. Our situations, our social status, our past or present sins, our present suffering, our solitude, none of those are barriers to God working in our hearts through the Lord Jesus. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus had met another rich man, a rich man who walked away from Jesus, having rejected him because he loved his money more. And the disciples are perplexed. And they ask, how can anyone be saved? How can a rich person be saved? And Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And there's Zacchaeus as a case in point. Every one of us, if we're Christians, we stand as a miracle of God's grace. And we need to remember that so we recognize how wide God's grace is. We are not to think, well, I'm the wrong type of person, so Jesus wouldn't be interested in me. We're not to think, well, my past has has been such a mess that God wouldn't care about me. God's kingdom is wide and known is beyond God's grace. Another lesson that we learn from these two men is this. Don't ignore the call of Jesus. These two men, very different in so many ways, but the same in one essential regard. They are aware of their need. Their needs are different, but there is a sense of urgency from them both. You almost get the impression that for both of them, they have this understanding, this might be my only chance to have an encounter with Jesus, to meet with Jesus. Now, so one is shouting, even though the crowds are telling him, be quiet. One's climbing a tree, even though the crowds are trying to block him out. I wonder today, if you come to church today, and you are very much aware of your need. Perhaps your need because of your own suffering. Perhaps it's a need born out of sadness. And a sense of emptiness. Perhaps you find yourself today aware of your sin and a guilty conscience. You know all is not well between you and your creator. Are you aware of your need for salvation today? To have things put right between you and your God. I wonder, do you believe who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God, 
that he is God's promised king, that he is the savior for sinners, that he is full of grace and compassion. Do you know the facts of Easter? That Jesus came on a mission to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for sin, and to rise again for salvation, forgiveness, and eternal life. Well, if you know these things and you're not yet a Christian, the time is now, like this blind man, to cry out, have mercy on me. The time is now to, as it were, get out of the tree, to make a decision to come to Jesus, to trust in him, to hear his call, to repent and to believe, to follow, and to praise. The last lesson from this story is that we are all invited to trust a Savior who restores. We're heading to London in a few weeks for a couple of days, and and so it was good news uh, that Big Ben was getting uh, the end, towards the end of its restoration project. I, I ended up reading up uh, on how they went about that project. Um, and, and the guy who was in charge of operations said that they spent ages uh, scouring the UK to find just the right master craftsmen. You know, there were so many unique jobs uh, in restoring the tower and the clock, so they had to find the best in the business because this was a once-in-a-generation, once-in-a-lifetime project. Not just any old clockmaker, not just any old builder would do. When we read the Gospels... And when we read these stories, we are invited to see in Jesus a spiritual master craftsman. He is the only one with the power and the desire to restore broken sinners like us. And that's what takes him on that journey to Easter. That's why the Son of God will go to the cross for his body to be broken, for his blood to be spilled, and then for him to be risen to life again. So that by trusting in Jesus, uh, your sin might be paid for, your guilt might be removed, your forgiveness might be secured, the eternal life would be yours. The blind beggar trusted, and he could see Zacchaeus trusted, and he found himself in a community of God's people. Will you trust and be part of his kingdom today? Let's pray together. Lord, our God, we praise you for the restoring work of Jesus. We thank you for his grace on display, that he wasn't just a savior for the good people, for the healthy people, for the religious people. But that Jesus came to show just how wide and deep is your love and your grace, that you came to seek and to save the lost. Lord, we pray for those of us who are Christians today. We ask that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation, that day by day, you would be renewing us in our hope and our joy 
as we consider who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Lord, for those who aren't Christians, may you, by your Spirit, restore them to right relationship with you. Cause them to uh, turn to Jesus, to confess sin, to confess him as Lord and Savior, and to live to follow and to praise him. Lord, we pray uh, for this church and indeed for every church in Edinburgh and across our nation uh, that preaches uh, your word, that declares Jesus as Savior for sinners. May you be at work among your people to restore and to renew. May you draw many to faith in Jesus, that you would transform this nation by your powerful grace. Lord, we pray especially uh, for uh, young people, for teenagers and students. Lord, we thank you for those in our own church. We pray again for Bible class this evening. Uh, We pray for the youth group that meets every month. We thank you for those opportunities for friendship and for thinking together about what your word teaches. Thank you for the uh, weekend away that they were able to share together. Lord, we also pray for our uh, student group. Uh, We pray for uh, the work of Christian unions. We thank you for the youth conference that happened last week. And we pray that you would raise a generation of those who would uh, love you and love your word, uh, who would be ready to give a reason for the hope that they have, and that you would protect and encourage. Lord, we again pray for our continent today. We pray for Europe. Lord, we again uh, remember and cry to you for mercy for Ukraine. Lord, we pray uh, that you would stop the hands of evil men, that you would end the war, that you would bring justice and peace. And Lord, as we consider the many challenges that we will face economically and socially uh, in coming weeks and months, Lord, we bring them to you, uh, understanding that you are a God who is able to bring good uh, out of evil. And so we pray that you would bring lasting spiritual good at this time. That as uh, the world is turned upside down, that it would cause many uh, to seek and find Jesus as Lord. We pray in his name. Amen. Now we'll sing together as we close uh, the hymn, His Mercy is More. And again, we will stand.